This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Hi, I'm Imma. I live in Scotland. Hi, I'm Jen and I'm from Canada. Hi, I'm Ola Banji and I'm from Nigeria. Hello, I'm Liki and I live in Paris. Hey, I'm Rod. I'm from Peru. Welcome to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our Carbon Sessions because it's not too late. Hi, I'm Tanya. Hi, I'm Sam. Hi, I am Ola Banji. And it's good to have you, Sam, as our first guest on the Carbon Sessions. So uh, this is great. And this is new for us because we just really chat, you know, with each other. And today we have a guest and that's amazing. It's good to have you. And we're talking about golf um, and sustainability. So Sam, tell us why this is important to you. What about golf is intriguing with you? And why do you want to talk about this? Yeah, I've been playing golf ever since I was a little kid. And my dad was the first person to bring me out on the golf course. I have other family members that I play with regularly, brothers. And it's just been a pretty significant part of my life for a long time. I played competitive golf all throughout high school and into college. And uh took a break for a little bit after college and started picking it up again a couple of years ago. And it's just something I really enjoy. I've, I've met a lot of great people through golf and just like spending the day outdoors. That's amazing. That's amazing. Tanya, you, you played golf as well, didn't you? <laughs> yes. I made a concerted effort many years ago to play um, because that was my my, you know, my husband's sport. And so, you know, lessons the whole nine yards and played regular, you know, somewhat regularly. And so, you know, this topic was, is of interest to me because I'm interested in the tension between recreation and natural resource management and golf courses, especially here in Southern California are so, you know, just yesterday, they've been told they need to cut back on their watering. And so, um, you know, I'm interested to see, interested in how this will affect the sport that form of recreation and also interested in what the how the experience will change for players uh, at both amateur and pros and was wondering what in the golf community what uh, is the thinking or the reactions that you've observed about having to let courses go brown or you know have to cut back on watering yeah i'm i'm in upstate New York. So we don't really have a water problem, but I'm well aware of it. I would say for us in the Northeast, we probably think about, I'm not an expert in uh, course management, but we probably think about diseases and we actually get too much rain at times. I remember last year we had about a month or three weeks of nonstop rain and the courses were really hurting from that. I haven't heard a lot of talk about golf and the sustainability of golf. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you guys. Ever since joining the Carbon Almanac, I've brought it up with a few people. And 
I just played golf with someone last weekend who uh, watches over and takes care of the bird species on our local golf courses. And I had a great conversation with him about what he, he's doing. That, that sounds amazing. I think the goal here is to not lose the golf course, right? All the golf courses and still keep them carbon neutral or, you know, of some sort, right? We, we don't want to lose the game. Um, we don't want to lose the contribution that it makes to the economy, to the lives of people. And, you know, just like you, but we also don't want to, we don't want it to hurt the, the environment. So the golf course can be carbon positive and it can be carbon negative. Um, but, but I think we need to find the balance and perhaps we should talk about some of the things that are, that are possible with finding the balance bef- between that. Um, Tanya, what do you think? I think um, finding the balance is, is necessary. I mean, I don't think it's an option anymore. It isn't something to think about for the future. It's happening now. And for around here, especially with yesterday's news, I was, you know, the, the article in the Los Angeles Times talks about golf courses having to decide what is functional grass and what is non-functional grass. Yeah. And so, you know, I was thinking then, well, if the greens are the most expensive part of the golf course, that the greens would get priority and then the fairway and then the rough would be the, um, I'm assuming, would be the last uh, lowest on the list, <laughs> but from a player's perspective, yeah. um, you know, how, how does that affect play? Do you think, or might affect play? I think, you know, a lot of people talk about, a, I think it's called Augusta syndrome and the expectation that what we see on TV is what we should expect as amateur golfers every time we go to the golf course. And I think some of the conversation mm. is around, you know, us as individuals realizing that we have to work with the environment in order, in order to mm. keep this game going, right? It's possible that yeah. we won't be able to keep our golf courses in the shape that we prefer them to be if we don't do something about it. Uh, and I know there are a lot of creative mm. solutions going on out in California for water preservation. But yeah, part of it's realizing that every day I try to leave the course better than I found it. Uh, and I don't know. I, I feel like just being out there and seeing how the yeah. golf course changes allows you to have a lot more respect for the environment and everything we have to do to manage. Yeah, thinking on that, I mean, in that line, from some of the research that, that I did, I mean, one of the things that I've critical to achieving this is like really finding out what kind of grass works for the environment right because if it's not the actual type of grass that works properly for the environment it's going to take you know it's going to take time to dry up um, it's going to require a lot of maintenance a lot of watering a lot of it's just going to be high on maintenance so i think replacing the hard to maintain grass with the one that really works with the kind of soil and the weather conditions in the environment would would be great as well um because the golf course is not just it's not just hurting the environment it can be a force for good as well when it's not maintained as much when we find ways to you know they're probably like electrical you know mowing 
stuff that can be used for the grass. And so when we combine all that effort, then we can make the golf course to be carbon positive, right? Instead of hurting the environment, then it's protecting the environment. So I think it's possible. We can preserve the game, the integrity of the game and the players and still have it be a force for good. Um, it just has to be a concern enough. And I think that golfers also kind of like need to be educated on what this is about, right? Just like you said, the way you see on TV doesn't necessarily you know, matter when it comes to reality because when it comes to reality, then your environment is at play, the environmental conditions there, the kind of soil that is there um, is, is really important as well. So those are my thoughts around the. I don't play golf. There are not a lot of <laughs> golf courses in Nigeria. There's probably one here in the entire state. There's just one. And then we, we just see horses there every single time. And it's so expensive to go play there. So I just, I keep my money and then <laughs> I do something else with it, right? The only time I ever play golf is on my phone. <laughs> yeah, I just play golf on my phone. But I, I like it. it. It seems like a really cool thing to, to do. I mean, interesting story. I got a golf ball as a gift from an uncle sometime when I was, I mean, I was younger. I, I think I sold the ball <laughs> to another friend for some money. <laughs> so uh, I don't have a history of playing golf, um, but it's enjoyable. I see how it's been played on TV. And of course, I know Tiger Woods. So, <laughs> yeah. To your point, Olabanji and Tanya, like when I, I was just walking the course two days ago and I was seeing all of this beautiful fescue grass coming up on the sides because it's starting to mm. they're letting that grow now and really even places with water we need to make decisions on how, how much of the course are we going to mow how much of the course are we going to yeah. preserve for natural habitats and that kind of thing and it's it's the same priorities uh, that we're setting with with courses that have water stress or don't have enough water and I just prefer the golf courses that go along with the natural landscapes. There, are, I've played on a lot of man-made. Like you can tell that all the ponds are are not natural, yeah. and there's nothing living in them. And I just prefer having all the animals and birds around. It just makes the sport so much more enjoyable. I think you're doing the right thing. I mean, the action point here for me is exactly what you're already doing, right? Like have the conversation with people, have the conversation with fellow golfers, have the conversation with regular people like me that is not a golfer. And well, Tanya is half a golfer. <laughs> she's a full golfer. Oh, she's a full yeah. golfer. <laughs> and 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 Leaky, that might be a golfer as well. But <laughs> Yeah, I think most courses I play follow the natural landscape most are or some are more manicured than others right there's there's a fairway then there's a first cut of rough then there's a second cut of rough then there are flowers on the outside and and mulched areas etc and then there are some courses that it's the fairway and then it's the the native grasses and it's the trees and the forest Right. And, and I'm lucky enough to play currently on one of those courses. And this is the first first course I've ever 
had a conversation about birds with someone. So I've seen birdhouses around on golf courses. Uh, maybe I haven't come into the contact with the person, but I'm not sure how much it's talked about. But it was really interesting to learn about. I think they're specifically trying to create habitats for bluebirds. It's the New York State. It's the state bird. I believe they were going extinct uh, for many reasons. And these houses really provide an area where they can live and breed and survive. And I can't remember if it's this bird or another bird who actually eats bugs and insects out of the air. And so I was playing a more manicured golf course the other day and I was surrounded by bugs. And I was looking around for the birds. I'm like, where are the birds eating these bugs? <laughs> Uh, and, and there were a lot fewer birds than on the course that I usually play. So it's just me becoming more aware of, of those kinds of things. And I think when people talk about the environmental impact of golf courses, it's many things. Water use is top of mind. Uh, the amount we mow and manicure the space and the natural habitats that we destroy. And then the positive aspect of a golf course is if the land is taken care of, it can actually sequester carbon. And yeah. And I believe it's wetlands uh, sequester a, a lot of carbon as well. So yeah, it's all about a balance. And I don't know if one of you want to talk about it, but I learned that in Iceland, they're actually measuring the carbon output, whether carbon negative or carbon positive, every single golf course in Iceland. I mean, that's really great. And and I think that's an answer to Leaky's question. I, and I think you answered both both questions. I mean, th the first being, loans are really bad for the environment. So, I mean, Leaky's wondering what good will um, the golf course be since loans are bad for the environment. But then the lesser the mowing, the more um, carbon the lawns can sequester, which is really great, considering actually that we need all we can get right now. <laughs> I think the final thing we need to talk about here is can, can we actually play on brown lawns? Is that possible? Or is it boring for golfers? I don't think it's boring. No, you can definitely... I mean, I don't know if this is because we don't let it happen. I've never played on a 100% brown lawn area. There are patches here and there uh, due to water stress. And I know I, in California, it's way different. And I, I uh, haven't really, I played in California once. And I definitely prefer, like when you're in California, you kind of want to experience California and the desert uh, I played in uh, Palm Springs and like the desert atmosphere was something that I was there to experience. So to me, mm. you know, I don't expect the lush, rough and fairway. And plus your ball goes farther when it's yeah. when it's dry like that. Yeah. For me, the action point here is really just have the conversation i mean i've learned a lot from having this conversation with you and and tanya so my take home here is is i mean talk about this more and, and i think we should probably do this again because we need to talk about this more and especially with people in the golfing community yeah and, and tanya what, what would be your your action point i mean what would you say ab about this at the moment, water is top of mind for me here living in California. I don't want to keep harping on water, but that is <laughs> that yeah. is just where it's at for me. That is what's in front of my face. And 
And, you know, one of the things that the article mentioned yesterday was that golf courses who, you know, that are using recycled wastewater are not um, falling under the restrictions, you know, the changes. They don't need to make quite the changes, but everyone is being tracked. These large landscape areas, they're being monitored um, to come up with some alternative plan because homeowners now in certain parts of the state can only water twice a week. Mm. And the large landscape areas like a golf course can come up with another plan and also, and added to that, they need to reduce their water usage to her by 5%, you know, compared to their historical uses. But the folks, the courses that use wastewater, recycled wastewater, don't have to at this point. Uh, But, you know, come September, things may change more if changes aren't made between now and September. So the water district says and the state says. So what do I take away from this? I think that there, there needs to be a lot of work, a lot of fine balance between recreation and natural resource management. I think we need to have more different conversations and kind of take conversations uh, where we've never taken them, regardless of the sport, the activity. You know, it could be, you know, single track mountain yeah. biking. It could be, you know, the golf, uh, of course, you know, fishing and hiking and yeah. and all of that. I know, again, because of the water issue, there's uh, a trail in Joshua Tree National Park that's been closed yeah. because of um, the bighorn sheep. And they want to just reserve that space and whatever water happens to be there for the sheep and keep the people out of there. So, yeah, there's lots to consider. It's not it's not quite an easy decision because there's so many yeah. stakeholders involved. Yeah, they are. Uh, Tanya, uh, what you said about recycled water is one of the solutions. And so I just want to bring that to light. A lot of other golf courses are looking at the parts of the golf course that they're managing, actively managing, like you said. Like I've seen examples of some golf courses who aren't managing every square inch of the driving range, for instance. They're just putting targets out there and reducing Mm. water. So there are solutions out there that we need to look at. Mm. Um, And the other thing that I think makes golf courses an opportunity to learn from is that There's really science uh, and measurement and data that could be used to learn how moisture can be retained and and used better throughout a golf course. So I hope to see more of that in the future as well. All right. That sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. And we'll chat next time. Sam, what do you think the response of players will be when really widespread changes are going to happen on golf courses before environmental reasons, you know, natural resource management. And do you think there'll be uh, more resistance or will people just go along with it? Especially, you know, given the fact that um, already maintaining the course is part of the practice, you know, with this, the seeds in the back of the courts and a uh, back of the cart and re- uh, repairing divots and that type of a thing. I think what I'm noticing is, I mean, before, Two years ago and the start of the COVID pandemic, golf was on a decline. Uh, it it picked, up, picked back up again because people were looking for something to do outdoors. But I think it needs to attract younger players. And I think and hope that the younger players will demand more of a sustainable track to play on. 
So I think it'll be acceptable, but also I think there's so much opportunity to leverage the research and the data that we can look at to make golf courses more sustainable so we don't run into these problems in the first place. I mean, that's my, that's my vision of uh, uh, carbon uh, beyond sustainable. Uh, I've heard on a podcast the beyond sustainable golf course that's actually adding to the vi- environment instead of taking away from it. That's where I hope we can get. And, and then water restrictions wouldn't, wouldn't be such a such an issue. Yeah. And, and, you know, where courses are located, there's, especially out here, there's so much urban space and they're huge. You know, there's homes built right around them and a lot of cases. Yeah. So I, I wonder myself how, how this will play out because some courses are built with the intention of keeping a natural landscape, as you've said, and others are not, you know, they're, they're really part the draw for a housing development. And I don't know how to fix those because that you know because then there's issues of the homeowners and what they what they want and the HOA and and all that right and all there's so many layers of complexity (laughs) I don't know if I have an answer for that in in general I feel like people like me will be more forgiving but I don't know how many people like me there are out there so I think it's been amazing having this conversation with you Sam and Tanya I had such a great time. And I mean, in summary here, it's, it's it's about sustainable management. So if we keep talking about sustainable management, drip by drip in bits, then we can start making the change that, that we need. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you both for having this conversation. To reduce my carbon footprint, uh, I firstly try to consume less in general in my life, less plastic, less everything, especially one-time disposable things I don't want to consume or plastic bags I don't want to consume. Plus, I'm biking almost every day and I try to slow down my actual life in general. And besides, I am also spear fishing. I, I try not to buy any fish or anything from the market. So I try to also produce as much as possible, even in, in our balcony, but this is marginal, actually, to tell you the truth. And what else? The, the most important thing I keep thinking is the biking, actually. So I try to uh, use less gas in my life in general. And I try to live on the biking or walking on food, this kind of more slower life in general I prefer. And I believe, and lastly, I also try to uh, pay attention to the clinic products at home. Uh, I try to consume less uh, harmful products to clean home or other things. I try to make sure that I try to make uh, make best products, produce, uh, consume best products, uh, good for environment. You've been listening to Carbon Sessions a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect, and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts 
and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network. For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again as together we can change the world.